Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's safe to say that in the era of social media, the spy game has changed. There's more information and information gathering than ever. Some of it in plain sight. I have no idea what this thing is. A Chinese spy balloon drifting across the United States. What the heck is that? In a rare Friday night statement, China apologized, saying it was an off-course weather balloon. So first, tell us about the Chinese case, this police station. Explain what was going on. Yes, well, they were operating in the United States office of a regional provincial police station. The documents were posted on Discord, a messaging and chat platform in recent weeks, where they resided, unknown to the Pentagon, until they were picked up and disseminated further. And it used to be that the U.S. intelligence agencies were reluctant to speak publicly about, well, anything. There was a time not too long ago where we wouldn't say Russia, China, or Iran out loud. But that, too, has changed. People need to know what the threats were, who they're coming from, what the vectors are. So we have changed our posture greatly, uh, particularly in the last five years. This is Alan Kohler, assistant director of the counterintelligence division at the FBI. He's speaking in front of a room full of students at George Mason University for the Hayden Center for Intelligence, Policy and International Security. Now, the center is named after Michael Hayden. He was once chief of the CIA. The center manages to get a lot of people on stage who typically won't speak publicly. People like Alan Kohler. When I got into uh, the FBI working counterintelligence in 96, I was a, a baby agent in the Washington field office, and I spent most of my time, frankly, chasing Russian intelligence officers around the streets of Washington. And we were very focused on Uh, watching people in buildings who are trying to steal U.S. government secrets. And then the Economic Espionage Act was passed in 1996. And there's a realization, probably took us too long to realize it, that, hey, the real uh, secrets that our adversaries want are not necessarily the U.S. government classified secrets. It's not what I have in my safe. It's it's what's in the heads of the engineers that work for, you know, IBM and Apple and, and Intel. It's, it's what is in the computer drives of these companies. Which means the circle of potential targets for so-called foreign adversaries has gotten wider and wider from corporations to universities to the entirety of our universe online. Uh, top story, the leak of highly classified Pentagon documents on social media sites. Many apparently reveal key details about Russia's war in Ukraine. So doesn't the U.S. have bigger things to worry about than the occasional spy balloon? Most of us carry a trove of highly revealing personal data in our pockets every day. No balloon required. And if that's all semi-public or hackable, what does it even mean to spy anymore? And how are spy agencies thinking AI could help find the needles in the data haystacks? I'm Audie Cornish. This is The Assignment. 
This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For this episode, we're bringing in an expert from the newsroom anchor and CNN chief national security correspondent, Jim Shuto. I've been in news for, gosh, almost 30 years, spent bulk of that as a foreign correspondent uh, overseas uh, in London, in Hong Kong, uh, in Tokyo, and a lot of time traveling the Middle East. And I took a, a break from news about 10 years ago where I served as chief of staff to the U.S. ambassador to China. This year alone, he's reported on not just the Chinese spy balloon, but the classified document leaks on Discord and the Wall Street Journal reporter jailed in Russia for alleged spying. Now, Jim has agreed to swap notes with Javed Ali, an associate professor at the University of Michigan. And he's worked at several of the biggest intelligence agencies in the U.S., including the FBI. I spent uh, 26 years in Washington, um, of that time 16 years in the trenches inside the government in a number of different roles in intelligence and counterterrorism. Uh, and then the last, my last full year of service uh, from 2017 to 2018, I was a senior director for counterterrorism on the Trump National Security Council. Javed and Jim have been part of the intelligence world for so long that when they saw the spy balloon story from back in February wasn't a shock, although they agreed that the political criticism over the Biden administration letting it drift from Montana to South Carolina before shooting it down was not entirely unearned. So I had to start by asking, is the U.S. still good at this? Well, clearly, U.S. intelligence agencies make a lot of mistakes. There's no question. Um, But they also still do they're still able to penetrate, right? So, you know, even in a, in a technological envi- environment where there's constant change and, and and doors you used to be able to go through are no longer, are, are now closed, they're finding ways around it, right? Because they're getting decent reads. Or if you look even more recently, you know, there's, there's a reason Bill Burns, CIA director, went public to say, China, we know you're considering giving arms to Russia and Ukraine. They, they clearly developed some intelligence picture of Chinese communications and decision-making there. We don't know how, uh, but they did. I mean, I would still argue the U.S. is the best in the world. China can pull some different levers because they're they're an authoritarian country, right? And they can mobilize resources against 
different topics in a way that's harder for us. So, you know, it's it's hard for me as an outsider now to to know, you know, is this an apples to oranges type of comparison? You know, is China qualitatively um, ahead of us when it comes to some of these intelligence um, functions or capabilities, or are we matching them, but we just don't talk about it? And, you know, that could also be part of the reality. You know, one of these interesting stories that's come out over the last um, couple of weeks are these illegal Chinese police stations that are operating not only here in the U.S., but also other parts of the world. I have to believe those have been collection platforms as well, right? These that, are kind of uh, exactly what it sounds like. It's a police station that kind of no one knows <laughs> where it's come from, what it's doing there. And all of a sudden right. people realize that, hey, wait a second, who's actually yeah. running this? Well, it's right. also, listen, there there are kinds of collection. China in, these, in this station in New York was monitoring its own people so that it could go after dissidents abroad instill fear in them, you know, uh, and that's part of their, that's part of a, an international strategy. They collect intelligence for business purposes to, to a degree that, that the U.S. intelligence agencies just not, they, they steal, they steal business secrets for economic advantage. And, and, and then the other piece is just a massive collection operation on individuals across the world. You and me, you and me, Included in that to, to to look at patterns, um, develop a picture of the U.S. population, potential targets, a whole host of reasons that they're gathering. I am a hundred percent certain you and I, Javed, have files in China. You know, oh, but well, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if Audi does too, as a journalist, right. and and, and, so and our kids. You know? Let me let's zero in on that then, because we started out talking about collection. So you guys are using this word fast and loose, like we all know what it is. <laughs> what does it mean in this day and age? to do data collection. One example of collection to me is spy balloon. Yeah. Spy balloon looks, collects, sends back. What's what's another okay, so, kind of collection? Yeah, we've got information that is communicated by human beings, right? So you've got a human to human conversation about something that's important to a, a government intelligence agency and a human being is passing that information. That is traditionally called human intelligence. That is a discipline. Another discipline is called signals intelligence and that sounds like what it is. Any kind of electronic signal that gets emitted, whether it's from a phone or an email or a computer, that is what agencies like the National Security Agency are, are focused on. Mm -hmm. You know, that collection of signals slash electronic intelligence. Um, we have other parts of our intelligence community that are interested in trying to understand what is happening at the terrestrial level of the Earth. Uh, and that is where an agency like the NGA, the National Geospatial Agency, you know, they run the, the sort of satellites uh, up in the sky and are looking at, okay, what is this activity on the ground? And how can you measure change over time by looking, you know, capturing these images on the ground. Um, and then we've come a long way over the past few years, certainly when I was in government and as I was leaving government, of trying to make sense of how much information is just out there in the open world that you don't have to use some clandestine capability to acquire, whether it's an internet-based, social media. Right. And that's relatively new, right? That's your kind of right. post-2006 smartphone era social Correct. media platform, yeah. sea of words. That you somehow but the have volume to find. of that information, yeah, yeah the, the volume of that information is staggering. And this is, the, to me, one of the big challenges for not only our intelligence community, but pretty much any other countries. Like, there's so much information in this social media slash internet world. How do you yeah. make sense of it? And how do you like? How do you figure out what's most relevant to you from a national security perspective? That's really hard. And I don't even think we're there yet from a 
like a capacity perspective. And, and that information, it's just out there in an open information society like our own, not right? All, not all just out there because there, there's also the hacking element to this. Um, the, the, I always say to folks that, that I, I was a target of, of four of China's b- biggest hacks, and therefore that stuff is on a file somewhere. One what is, is that stuff? I'll give you – so Anthem. Hacked. Anthem is your health insurance. All that information, mine, my wife's, my kids, when you've been sick, where you've seen a doctor, sitting on a file somewhere on the dark web. Um, Equifax. Hacked. That's your financial information, the information you gave to get your home mortgage, your auto loan, et cetera. That's out there, and that, that can speak to income, but also potential vulnerabilities. If you're a spy service, oh, these guys are missing their payments or something like that, right? Um the OPM hack, Office of Personnel Management, which affect anybody who's worked for government. Uh, this is a few years ago, traced to China, I believe. And, and that's yep. a whole host of things, uh, social security numbers, where you've ever traveled overseas, all on your file. And then the other one, I mentioned, it sounds kind of silly, but Marriott. Uh, the Marriott Hotels app, significant <laughs> to folks who serve in government because that— And gov- also, I notice everyone at CNN is obsessed with their Marriott well, points. Marriott, so I think <laughs> Marriott, also here. <laughs> it's popular in government because the hotels tend to be within the U.S. government limit per night, and that gives to travel patterns. So if you're an intelligence service and you want to figure out if Audie Cornish, is she actually the cultural attache at the embassy, or do her travel patterns match someone who is more likely an intel operator, or something like that? Yeah. That whole picture obtained by hacks goes... Beyond what's what's public, what you've posted on Facebook, social media, et cetera, goes into a vat of information, which I am sure China has highly collated. Uh, and then there's, there's a reason folks in intelligence told me years ago, never use TikTok and don't let your kids use TikTok. Tracks your movement, facial recognition technology. So when you think of collection, you have like the stuff you used to think about. When I was in China, I know that there was a camera and microphone in my apartment there because my mother-in-law was in the apartment when the guys came in and uniform and change the battery. So I know that they did that kind of old school collection. That when my wife and I communicated in Beijing, we did not talk business in the in the building. That's old school. That makes you think of you know a nineteen eighties yeah. film. The other stuff is the stealing your other information via the via the internet to, to then further create this file. Java, That's collection. Java, do you have a similar experience? Uh, well, I was never posted overseas. Uh, my career was in Washington, but I did travel all over the world um, in different times in my government career for much shorter stints. Yeah, so if, give me an example, because I go into the airport and I've just got like my earbuds in. What are you doing differently? Well, I'm just keeping a low profile. Now, this is back when I was yeah, in government, yeah. right? So, yeah, keep a low profile. Never sort of wear any clothing that would suggest that I do work for, you know, U.S. government. So, Javed uh, Ali, traveling in sweats, basically. Yeah, exactly, right. What else? Um, I, I, would never, I would never talk to people in the airports or on the planes. Um, I would just kind of be in my own space. Uh, wherever I had to go, when I rolled off an airplane, you know, in a foreign country, I would just go either— to the embassy or the hotel. and um, But, you know, again, there could have been people physically observing me or some potential attempt of electronic surveillance, but I never let it really affect me for the most part. And as far as I know, like I never, no one ever really interfered with me. Um, are there uh, ways that you behave here in the U.S. that are different from the average person because of what you know? 
One thing that I have certainly done over the past couple years, uh, limited my social media presence almost at the point of not having one. And maybe that's just a function of getting older. Um, like, what does a middle-aged man need mm. to have a Facebook account for? But um, outside of that, like, I don't have any other social media um, presence, and that's just kind of a personal decision. That's just yeah. U.S. government officials on visits to China will leave their personal phones on, on the plane or mm-hmm. not bring them with them yep. and bring a a burner or something that doesn't have their personal information and so on, or that they're not bringing back to the U.S. because the assumption is, I mean, listen, when I left China, I I took my phone to uh, to a folks who do this kind of thing to just make sure there wasn't any software living on there that, that I wasn't aware of. You know, those steps are standard now. And just to be clear about why a country or foreign actor would want this information, as you said, it's to kind of identify potential people who may be doing counterintelligence against them. Um, But it's all using information that's, as you said, hackable or semi-public. Does it negate spying? No, it's just an adjunct to it, right? You're always trying to gather as much information as you can, whether you can do it clandestinely or whether you can do it through hacking or whether you can, again, pull it down from the open source world. The intelligence agencies will always try to gather as much information as they can through these different disciplines, different means. But then you still have to go through the really hard work, and I say this as a former analyst, of making sense of all that data. Because there's no point in having data just for the sake of having mm. data. And I used to say this when I was in government, and certainly in the counterterrorism world. It's great that we can collect all this information. But if we're not actioning it against the right sort of issues, and we're not doing the right things with that information that we've acquired, um, either clandestinely or in the open domain, then now it becomes a liability. It's yeah. paradigm. And, and one thing we know China is doing is that they are not just mining. They're, they're, they're putting this data into a, to a construct to try to extract value and, and, and patterns and so on. That they've, the, the number of people dedicated to this task is, is just remarkable. It's off the charts. And, and it's why, as you discuss things like artificial intelligence and, and who's winning, you know, winning the race in AI and, and other emerging technologies— that all fits into this picture. Yeah. Because Java, you, can you jump on that? What impact could AI have in spy games? Well, I think it already has. Because the volume of information that the the intelligence community has already is so vast, we cannot sort of analyze our way out of this uh, or through that with human beings. The human mind can only comprehend so much data at any one given time. And I, I struggled with that as an analyst myself in the sort of good old days of the early 2000s where we weren't sort of inundated as much as probably analysts are now. So now this is where technology really has to come into play to help make sense of all these. Think about political tendencies, right? Someone who has who has either posted online or is in a chat group that that has espoused sympathy for Russia's invasion of Ukraine, right? I mean, you you start to find folks, hey, maybe we could work with this person. Maybe they have, uh, or, I mean, if you think of this most recent leaker, oh, here's a kid who likes to show off what he knows. Let's see if we on can- On a Discord on channel. On a Discord channel, right? right. You know, the, but then you got to find the Discord channel. Like, well, how? That, that I mean, that's a, the needle in the haystack. Uh, folks I talk to in, in intelligence in the wake of this leak will grant- that is a black box, largely. Those are closed circles. They're they're not like monitoring Facebook or, or Twitter or something like that. They, you don't know what what's being talked about and shared in those circles. So, what do you do about it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the whole social media uh, aspect of 
uh, or connection to people who are in the intelligence business or the national security world. I mean, again, that is a vulnerability that got exploited um, through the Discord leak. Perhaps it's now the time for folks who've got security clearances, certainly at the highest levels of the top secret SCI world, to you have to provide a mandatory reporting of your social media accounts or mm. your activity at some level because there is no other way to know what people are doing in that space. We, we have an open society, right? We have we have a free press that, that can... But can you can ever stay ahead if everything you're doing is out there all the time? Javid, you must have had to, deal, like, talk about this when you were in office. Well, I, I don't think that, you know, yes, we've had leaks, and yes, there have been these unauthorized disclosures, but it's not, it hasn't compromised, you know, everything that the U.S. government does. It, the, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the sort of the game that gets played is when these... Um, you know, unfortunate events happen or these leaks happen, then you got to go into damage control. You try to sort of mitigate the um, the losses to the sources of methods or any insights that our adversaries might have. But the day-to-day work sort of continues. And, you know, that's the strength of the intelligence community is that we can, even in the aftermath of a significant leak or a breach, that, you know, it doesn't you know, it doesn't grind everything to a halt. I guess that's the, the best way of and it thinking doesn't, about it. And it's not a setback? It is, but again, you know, we're it's a resilient intelligence community, and there are all these different disciplines and collection um, capabilities. And so, even in the aftermath of something is, and I would argue the Snowden leaks were far more damaging than than the Discord leaks. Um, that you know, the community was able to to bounce back from that um, and and recover. One thing that I think has been really fascinating over the past year to watch, and Jim, I think you and others uh, have reported on this, is that the Biden administration has very deliberately um, used what must have been very sensitive intelligence yeah. to make the case publicly about different aspects of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, or even China, as Jim mentioned before. And every time they have done that, there has probably been some risk to the sources and methods that derive that intelligence in the first place. Just a devil's advocate point here, because closed systems like Russia and China uh, without open societies have an advantage to some degree, right? You don't have a free press kind of digging for information. You don't have officials who are willing to speak about this, you know, on background, etc. On the flip side, we saw in, in Putin's Russia that he got bad information, right? That his own intelligence chiefs and military leaders were were too scared to tell him the truth about the weakness of Russian forces or perhaps the strength of Ukrainian forces, or they just didn't know. But there's a lot of evidence that they didn't want to report up the chain. And that, it seems, you can argue, contributed to bad decision-making by Russia. So that the closed systems, it's not like they have, have a magic wand for, for getting this right either, necessarily. Earlier, you guys identified the sheer volume of information and figuring out how to identify stuff and then figuring out what you actually act on, what you have to go after. That's one big challenge. What's another big challenge going forward? One big challenge is that we are, you know, the the post-Cold War period is over, that that this sort of relative detente between the U.S. and the West and Russia and and a, a cooperative, generally cooperative, at least not openly hostile relationship with China, um, that's over. And that you you now you you have genuine. First of all, you have a, the largest war in Europe since World War II, with the U.S. and the West on one side and Russia on the other. Um, 
You have other proxy wars kind of developing in different places. And then in China, you have a potential flash, flashpoint in Taiwan. And, and therefore, all the intelligence collection that goes around those things um, and just the general decline in those relationships that, that we are in a, you know, it's a return to great powers. It's what I'm writing a book about it now, but I'm not the only one talking about it where you now have two superpower rivals, and that's going to play out on a number of fronts. Meaning the U.S. has two US, superpower US rivals. And its allies with Russia and China, and that's going to play out in the intelligence sphere. Yeah, there's, there are a number of challenges. Um, and uh, to pick up on Jim's point, the, the evolving threat landscape is a major challenge. Because I, when I was in government, and certainly in the intelligence committee, we sort of were hyper-focused on counterterrorism for the bulk of my career. And that's where most of the policy attention was. That's where right. a lot that's of the, the post 9-11 focus on the Middle East and mm. on, right. and, uh, on South yeah. Asia. Right. And now the world has changed. And beyond even these regional issues, we have to deal with climate change and covid and all the you know cybersecurity things that in my career, we were just not as um, sort of nimble on it. And now how do you scale up the intelligence community to deal with these types of you know, very different issues that are going to require tailored intelligence responses uh, as well. And then I think there are issues with technology. I think technology is moving way too fast. It's hard for the intelligence community to, to keep up with that. And part and parcel is there are workforce issues. Um, you know, the majority, there there is going to be a, a bulge of people leaving the intelligence community probably in the next five to 10 years. And there has to be this next generation of people coming in to make sure the mission, um, you know, there are no gaps in the mission as things are changing and bringing in this next generation of folks who may have a different profile than people like Jim or I, um, when we had clearances or, you know, we're in government, that's going to be a challenge too, because the community is going to have to take some more risk. Well, thank you both for speaking with us. Thank you. This is great. Yeah. Thanks, Audie. That was Javed Ali, Associate Professor of Practice at the Gerald R. Ford School of Public Policy at the University of Michigan. And Jim Shuto is CNN's Chief National Security Correspondent and co-host of News Central. That's weekday afternoons from 1 to 4. Audio at the top of the show is courtesy of the Michael V. Hayden Center for Intelligence, Policy, and International Security at George Mason University. That's it for this episode of The Assignment. The Assignment is a production of CNN Audio. Our producers are Madeline Thompson, Jennifer Lai, Lori Galaretta, Carla Javier, and Dan Bloom. Our associate producers are Asoke Samuel and Allison Park. Our senior producers are Matt Martinez and Haley Thomas. Mixing and sound design by David Shulman. Dan DeZula is our technical director. Steve Lichtai is our executive producer. And special thanks to Katie Hinman. I'm Audie Cornish. Thank you for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.